today we continue with the series of uh, eternal judgment which is the six out of the six foundational doctrines taught us in the book of Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 and those six foundational doctrines are repentance from dead works faith toward God the doctrine of baptisms the laying on of hands the resurrection of dead and eternal judgment and so we're dealing with uh, the doctrine of eternal judgment in this series and we've uh, reached a point in the series where we're dealing with what will take place with regards to unforgiven sin on the day of judgment of believers and uh, this whole uh, section that we're dealing with is dealing uh, primarily well this is dealing with the judgment of believers not unbelievers we will deal with the judgment of unbelievers at a later point in this uh, uh, teaching series and so we have had a look under this topic of the fact that unforgiven sin will be judged on that day We've had a look at the fact that uh, judgment will be without partiality and that just because uh, we are the Lord's children does not excuse us from uh, sin that we commit in this life and do not receive forgiveness for. And so we have seen in previous teachings that all unforgiven sin, this is known sin we're speaking about, we're not dealing with unknown sin for that the Lord uh, takes care of himself. But all known sin that a believer commits in this life for which they do not receive forgiveness in this life will be brought to account on their day of judgment. And uh, that we said that is one of the reasons why it's so important for us as believers to keep a short account with the Lord and not to um, leave over any sin that might uh, be have to be dealt with on that particular day. And then we saw in the previous teaching <clears throat> that confessed sin will not be judged. For whatever sin we've confessed before the Lord in uh, 1 John 1 9, the scripture says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so when our Lord does that, uh, those sins are completely cleansed by the blood of the Lamb and they're washed um, as if they never took place and heaven's records are expunged um, and those records are not there anymore and our Lord also said to us in the book of Hebrews he said their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more and so when we stand before the Lord Jesus on that day it will not be something that will be brought up because Jesus uh, has chosen to remember those sins no more and um, they will not be brought up and not be discussed and it's not something that we will have to give an account of which is so it just gives us a, a clear indication that we need to uh, make sure that we confess our sins in this life so that when we depart from this life that our record is clean uh, so that when we stand before the Lord we won't stand before him ashamed in any way and we saw that we need to be looking out for brothers and sisters in Christ 1 John 5 16 the scripture says if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin not to death he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not to death and so we as believers can look out for our fellow believers who are committing sin and are not repenting of their sin um, and we saw one of the reasons that that happens is because they become blinded to the sin that they're committing because they have become they became captives taken by uh, captive by satan to do his will and so they are in darkness in that area. And so very often believers that are habitually committing sin in a particular area um, have become blinded to that sin. And so 
it is necessary for other believers to petition the Lord on their behalf that he would be merciful to them and that he would forgive them their sin. And it is then as if they had prayed that same prayer of repentance themselves. And God then forgives them that sin. And what happens is then the blinds get taken away and they can once again clearly see that what they are doing is in fact sinful and then they can obviously repent for themselves. Um, and so we will not give an account to the Lord for any sin in this life that we commit, uh, which we have uh, for, received forgiveness for. Um, but we saw in Scripture that uh, on that day, um, James was one of the scriptures we quoted, James 2, beginning in verse 12, he says, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. We said the law of liberty is the word of God. And so we will be judged, believers, by the word of God on that day. Um, but verse 13, he says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so we saw that our Lord will forgive us our sin on that day, those sins that are unforgiven in this life, um, through His mercy. And so it is very necessary for, as believers to uh, show mercy toward others so that when we stand before the Lord on that day, we can in turn receive mercy from Him. And uh, Peter admonishes us to walk in love, for he says love covers a multitude of sins. And we would need um, love to cover a multitude of sins on that particular day, if we have unforgiven sin when we stand before, before the Lord. Revelation 21, 4, the scripture says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And so the reason that that will happen is because there will be tears of remorse on that day when Christians stand before the Lord and they have to give an account uh, for unforgiven sin in their lives that they have not dealt with in this life. And then th that sin gets um, brought to light and they have to then uh, repent and ask forgiveness for those their sins at that particular time. There will be uh, tears of remorse and our Lord will wipe away every one of those tears. And so we said that although um, on that day every sin will be forgiven, the Lord's mercy will prevail and we will receive forgiveness for all the unconfessed sin that we've committed in this life. Um, although that sin will be uh, forgiven and we will be cleansed from all of that sin for we cannot enter into the kingdom with unrighteousness um, we said that there is a consequence that will be incurred there is a price to pay an eternal price to pay for unconfessed sin uh, in this life um, and so it is actually a very uh, sobering topic to to discuss and to contemplate but it's very necessary that we do that because uh, this is something that will impact on every believer's eternal inheritance. And so it's very important for us to have a clear understanding of it so that we can walk in the light thereof and so that we can incur as little penalty as possible when we stand before the Lord. We would prefer to stand before Him completely unashamed um, and with great boldness then stand before him and have to give an account for sin that we've committed in this life which we have not repented of. And so we looked at a scripture previously and we're going to touch on that particular scripture again um, in dealing with the price that we have to pay in our eternal inheritance for um, sin that we commit in this life for which we do not receive forgiveness for. Now again, remember we said that um, sin that is unforgiven in this life 
uh, is unforgiven because we haven't repented of that. We have not confessed that sin to the Lord. We haven't asked his forgiveness. And uh, that sin remains on the books. It doesn't go away. And so it will be brought to account on that day. And the scripture we can have a look at is in Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 18. Our Lord's speaking, and he says, For assuredly, I say to you, uh, when our Lord ever says, puts that word in, for assuredly, I say to you, he can say, he's saying, guys, this is it. Uh, I'm really telling you what it's all about. You, you can take this as gospel, because this is the gospel, obviously. He says, for assuredly, I say to you, Till heaven and earth pass away, one jot, one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Now, heaven and earth will only pass away uh, right at the end of the age, when after the reign of our Lord Jesus on the earth, his millennial reign. It is only after that period of uh, that age, so to speak, that God the Father will then do away with the earth, the current earth that we dwell in, and the heavens that we, we can uh, obviously uh, observe and obviously the heavens around us. Um, and God will then create new heavens and new earth. And so our Lord says, until that happens, not one jot or one tittle of the law will pass away until all is fulfilled. And so even going into the, the millennial reign of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the law will still be in place because our Lord says, until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot nor one tittle will pass away until all is fulfilled. Verse 19, he says, Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so here our Lord is telling us that it's not going out and breaking the great commandments that are going to incur penalty and that are going to incur penalty. But what our Lord is doing is he's putting it into context for he's saying, if you break the least of these commandments, so he's saying, you know, that what you deem to be the, the least of my commandments, if you break them and you go ahead and teach others that, you know, it's quite all right, you, can, you, you don't need to observe uh, that type of a lifestyle then what will happen is that on that day you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And so, you know, he's talking about his children. He's talking about believers because he's talking about people who are in the kingdom of heaven. This is not talking about unbelievers at all. He's saying that there's going to be two camps, kind of, you can put it across. There's going to be the camp of those who are least in the kingdom of heaven and there's going to be the camp of those who are called great in the kingdom of heaven. And those who are called least in the kingdom of heaven are the ones who have broken the least of his commandments. So he's not talking about major sin like committing murder or something like that. You think about what the least commandment is out there, whatever comes to mind in your thinking. If you break that commandment and you consistently break that commandment, our Lord is not talking about uh, once or twice uh, missing the mark. He's talking about a practiced lifestyle. And you consistently break those commandments, be it the least that you can think of. Our Lord says, if you do that, on that day when you stand before him, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And so there's a definite penalty, a price to pay for a lifestyle, a Christian who practices a lifestyle of sin in whatever area it might be. We're not talking about major sins, but we will go through uh, some of the categories of the sins that are given to us in Scripture as we go through this. 
But the point remains that our Lord is, is really trying to emphasize, guys, it's not breaking the great commandments that is going to get you into this position where you will be called least in the kingdom of God. It's breaking the least of his commandments that will get you into the position where you will be called by the Lord least in the kingdom of heaven. And there's a consequence to be paid for being called least in the kingdom of heaven. And we'll go through it um, as we go through this uh, teaching today. Um, the Apostle James, well, the Holy Spirit writing through the Apostle James, gives us a bit more insight as to why the Lord can actually say what he said, in that our Lord said, if you break the least of these commandments um, and teach men to do so, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Well, he can do that, our Lord can say that, because the least of the commandments are still the commandments of God. And so, in fact, what you are doing is you are being disobedient to God. Now, whether you're going to be disobedient in what you deem to be a small uh, area or disobedient in what you deem to be a, a great area of disobedience, nevertheless, uh, disobedience in the eyes of God is disobedience to Him. And so, to break any of the laws of God is to break God's laws. And, you know, you, you are basically... Um, being, well, you're being disobedient to God. Really, that's, that, that's the, the crux of it. And the scripture we can look at is in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. Uh, he says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Verse 11, For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And so no, no matter which law we transgress, we have become a transgressor of the law, all of it, because all of the law is given by God. And so God doesn't um, categorize his law and say, okay, it's quite all right for you to transgress those laws, but these laws, if you transgress these laws, these are very serious and I will have to deal with them. Not at all. God says, all of the law is my law. I've given it to you. And so whatever law you choose to transgress, you're transgressing my law. And so you have become a transgressor of the law. And so that is why our Lord said, if you, you break the least of the commandments, um, you will incur the penalty of being called least in the kingdom of heaven. So the question now arises, okay, well, if we are called least in the kingdom of heaven, let's say we, on our day of judgment, we stand before the Lord and he now pronounces upon us, uh, Mike, you're actually now going to be in this grouping called those who are least in the kingdom of heaven. What impact does that have on me uh, with regards to my eternal inheritance? Um, and that is what we would like to see what the scripture says on that subject. And we will see as we go through it that in actual fact impacts quite dramatically on our eternal inheritance. Remember we inheritance. Remember we're talking in this particular subject today. We're talking about um, the consequence of unforgiven sin. What what is the consequence of being called least in the kingdom of heaven? For our Lord said that those who, who uh, transgress the least of his commandments will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Well, we can now start looking at some other scriptures in the New Testament, which would help us to, to understand this concept. And the first one we'll look at is in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 16. 
Timothy writing, and Paul writing to Timothy with advice, he says, But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenius and Philatus are of this sort. These are two gentlemen who are going around and they are starting to uh, put out a, a false message, basically. Um, verse 18, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having the seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now look at this in verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So what has happened here is you have two believers. These are not unbelievers. These are not false prophets. These are Christians who have, have started preaching some weird stuff. Uh, and Paul puts it under the, the heading of profane and idle babblings. <clears throat> and he says their message spreads like cancer. And so what these two individuals had started to teach the church was that the resurrection has already passed. And so Paul is saying... This is false doctrine that they teach in the church, but they're still Christians. They're not unbelievers. Paul is not um, saying these, these people, these two individuals are condemned um, as uh, to eternal hell because they are you know, false prophets that are in the church. No, he's talking about believers in the church. They have strayed from the truth. They haven't yet denied the truth. They still accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They've just got part of their doctrine um, completely wrong by you know, preaching to the, the, the church that the resurrection is really passed. It was really weird stuff. Um, but what Paul then does, it, well, the Holy Spirit through Paul does, he says in verse 20, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay. And so the great house, that he, the analogy he uses now is the kingdom of God, is, is the church. Uh, that is the great house. He's not saying that um, the great house is the kingdom of God and all the unbelievers are the vessels of wood and clay and all the believers are the vessels of gold and silver because he's talking about these two individuals who are Christians who are preaching a, a strange doctrine to, to the church and they're putting out things that are overthrowing the faith of some of, some of the younger believers. And so you know, Paul is saying that this is a, a dangerous road to go down. But he puts them into this category of um, those who are vessels of dishonor. And so he says vessels of wooden clay are vessels for dishonor and vessels of gold and silver are vessels of honor. And he says in verse 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, what's, what's the latter? The, the, the vessel, the, the dishonor, to cleanse himself from the dishonor, he will become, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And so in the house, there are vessels of honor and dishonor. And these two particular believers had now fallen into the category of vessels of dishonor. They hadn't cleansed themselves from the latter so that they could become vessels of honor to be useful to the Lord. 
um, but they still are in the house. They're not discarded, um, but there's an impact, there's a consequence for what they're doing. And, you know, time and again, our Lord said to us when he was on the earth, he said, uh, those who are first will be last and those who are last will be first. And what he was implying quite strongly when he meant when he put those teachings across was that because he very often he would link it in then if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven you need to become the servant of all and so in this life if you want to be great in the next life in 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 the age to come then in this life we serve and we um we become the servant of all the the one who becomes least will become great in the kingdom of heaven and so the, the reverse occurs for those who you know, are not serving in this life and are serving themselves. And in this in, in, in instance here, these two individuals were cert certainly not serving the Lord and not serving the body of Christ. They were serving themselves because they were espousing uh, false doctrine, which was actually damaging the body of Christ. And so they would become at least in the kingdom of God in the age to come. And they would become last, servant of all. And so one of the things that we find um, with, with, with regards to loss of eternal inheritance is that uh, those who go into that age without an inheritance become servants. And either we serve in this age now or we will serve in the age to come. So rather serve in this age and not have to serve in the age to come. Um, but be that as it may, let's just have a look at some other scripture that Paul does give us, um, which is more pertinent to this the topic that we're dealing with today with regards to unconfessed sin and how it actually will impact on the life of the believer for all eternity. Um, and that was just a, a sampling given to us about uh, the point that I really wanted to bring across there was the fact that the great house is the body of Christ. The great house is the, the kingdom of God. And so Paul is not saying that the, the vessels of dishonor are outside of the house. He's saying all the vessels are in the house, just that some are, are going to be used for honor and some will be used for dishonor. And it is up to the individual to cleanse himself from the latter, translated as cleanse himself from the dishonor, so that they can be useful for the master and be used as vessels of honor. Now, we don't cleanse ourselves to come into the kingdom of God. God does that. His blood cleanses us from all sin, and we get brought into the kingdom. So he's talking about those who already are in the kingdom. Those who are in the kingdom are the ones who are to cleanse themselves from dishonor. Then the way we do that is obviously we practice a righteous lifestyle, and we serve the Lord and we serve his body. That is how we cleanse ourselves from all dishonor so that we may be vessels for honor. Now, those Christians who choose not to cleanse themselves from uh, all dishonor remain as vessels of dishonor in the great house. Do, do not get taken out of the house. Do not get uh, discarded. They just become vessels for dishonor because there are going to be tasks in the kingdom of heaven in the age to come that are going to be dishonorable tasks. And those tasks will be given over to believers who in this life have not cleansed themselves from all dishonor and therefore will become and remain vessels of dishonor. But now let's get down to uh, the practice lifestyle of sin. Now, again, I need to emphasize in today's teaching that we're talking about believers 
who practice a lifestyle of sin. Now we're not talking about complete sin, that they really are you know, completely degenerate in, the, in their lifestyle. We're talking about Christians who have certain sinful practices that they continue to practice, even though they um, are Christians and they go to church and they fellowship and they do all the stuff that Christians do. They have this one aspect of their lives that they just don't ever get under control. And they continue to practice these particular sins or this particular sinful lifestyle. It is a, a sinful practice that they are practicing. It's not one sin here and another sin there every now and then, and then they re receive forgiveness for those sins. This is continual practicing of sin. And that's the, the, the category that we're dealing with today in the, in the scriptures. And so the Holy Spirit, we're going to see... Uh, four times in the New Testament, in the epistles, that the Holy Spirit writes to four different churches and he warns each church in exactly the same manner. He actually uses almost exactly the same terminology in all instances. Now the reason he does that is because he's trying to really um, teach the body of Christ that we are to take this eternal judgment very seriously and we're not to take um, sin in the life of the believer lightly because it does have an eternal impact on us. Now we might not see the eternal impact in this life and so we, you know, because we don't see the, the impact in this life we think well you know, the Lord understands and the Lord just is going to uh, excuse my practices. Not at all. There's going to come a day when everything is brought to light and nothing is left out. And so all of these the sins will be brought to book and we will have to give an account for them, and there will be a price to pay for them. So let's uh, look at the first uh, warning given to us by the Holy Spirit when Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and the scripture we're looking at is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 8. The scripture says, Now you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. So he's writing to believers, uh, Christians who are actually cheating and doing wrong to one another as Christians. This is not talking about how believers are dealing with those who are outside in the world. This is talking about how believers are dealing with one another in the body of Christ. Verse 9. Now, it's, it's a very, I mean, the, 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 the warning is put across to us in such a, it's almost like a strange manner because he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And so we, we, look, we sit back and we say, but yes, Lord, we do know that. We know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God because the unrighteous are those who are not born again. They are unbelievers. And, you know, every unbeliever will definitely not inherit the kingdom of God because they are condemned to eternal punishment and eternal hell. So, Lord, we understand that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. But he's not talking about the unrighteous in the form of unbelievers. He's talking about the unrighteous in the body of Christ. He's, in context, he says, do you know you yourself do wrong and cheat and you do these things to your brethren? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And so very clearly he's talking to the church. Now, when he says the unrighteous here in this context, he's talking about believers who are practicing unrighteousness. He's not talking about those who have not been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
because all believers have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. For the Bible teaches us very plainly that he who knew no sin, talking about our Lord Jesus, was made to be sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so every believer, once we get born again, we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But it is one thing to be the righteousness of God. It is another thing entirely to practice that righteousness. And so he's talking about actually a practiced lifestyle of unrighteousness. And so he's given us the heads up. He's saying, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he goes on to say, do not be deceived. So he's talking again to believers, but saying, believers, don't get deceived in this area. Do not be deceived by thinking, well, you are the righteousness of God, and so there's no consequence to a lifestyle that is unrighteous, because I'm the righteousness of God. Now, that, that, from one aspect, that is very true, because once we're born again, we are the righteousness of God, and our salvation is assured up, in, up to a point. And we, right at the outset of the teaching, we spoke about the, the fact that there is a sin to death uh, that Christians can commit. We, we don't want to go down that road today. But yes, our salvation is assured. However, there is an impact on our eternal inheritance for the lifestyle that we practice in this life. And that is why he's saying to Christians, do not be deceived in this area. Don't let anybody try and fool you that there's not, again, there's not going to be a consequence for your lifestyle, Christian, of unrighteousness. And he goes on to say, neither fornicators. Now he's starting to list some of these sinful lifestyles. It's talking about practicing. What, 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 this is a lifestyle that has been practiced by these believers. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will what? Will inherit the kingdom of God. So the, the terminology that the Holy Spirit uses here is never, he never says that those who practice these things will lose their salvation, because he's not saying that at all. He's saying, he uses the terminology, those who practice these things, Christians, because this, this warning is written to Christians, to believers. He says, Christians who practice this, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will still be in the kingdom of God, but there will be no inheritance for them in the kingdom of God because of their chosen lifestyle that they have chosen to live. And that is what he's talking about when he says, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So a lot of believers have taken that passage of Scripture and said, okay, well, that applies to unbelievers because that's not believers because we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's not at all what he's saying. That's why he says, don't be deceived in this area. He's talking about a lifestyle of unrighteousness. And so when he says neither, and he lists all of these uh, different categories, um, uh, fornicators, idolaters, uh, adulterers, these covetous drunkards, so let's just say we've got a Christian out there who is uh, practicing uh, a lifestyle of being a drunkard. He's still giving his heart to the Lord. He is still a son of God, but he's practicing this lifestyle of drunkenness. And he will not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. He's not to be deceived in this area. Now you say, well, how can you say that this is Christians he's talking about? How can Christians be practicing that type of a lifestyle? Well, it's very possible because in the very 
preceding chapter in that letter that Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he actually lists in chapter 5, um, he lists those exact same sins for Christians that are committing those sins. And he tells the church how to deal with it. Let's have a look at the scripture. The scripture is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Now he says, But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. So he's not talking about unbelievers now. He's not talking about those who are in the world. He says not, not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is what? Who is sexually immoral, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. And so here very clearly we have Christians who are practicing these sins. And the, the admonishment by Paul given to the church were not even to eat with those believers. Now when he says, but now I've written to you not to keep company, a previous letter that Paul had written to that same church, because they had gotten a bit confused on the issue, because he'd said to them, I don't want you to keep company with these type of people. Now they had written back and said, Paul, you know, please clarify, because the whole world is like that. And Paul then, if you go read in, in uh, earlier in that chapter, he says, uh, you guys have misunderstood me. I didn't mean that you shouldn't keep company with those in the world who are committing these sins, because he said, because then you need to go out of the world, because the whole world commits this type of sin. And so that's not what he's saying at all. And he, so he specifies here, I've, I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother, so a Christian who is practicing these sins. You're not to keep company with them. And so very clearly, it is possible for Christians to practice these sins as part of their lifestyle. And fellow Christians are admonished not to keep company with those particular believers. And so in the next chapter, which we just read, where he says, guys, don't be deceived. Anyone who's committing these sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so he's not saying, he's saying these are still Christians because, you know, in, in chapter 5, we just had a look at that, they're Christians. We're just not to keep company with them. But they're still saved. They're still going, if they were to die tonight, they would go straight to heaven to be with the Lord Jesus. But these are Christians who are practicing uh, these sinful practices in their lives. And the, the admonishment by the Holy Spirit is they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And they're not to be, be deceived in this issue. The second time that the Holy Spirit writes to us to warn us on this issue, he writes to the churches in Galatia. And uh, the, chapter, the scripture is in Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 19. The scripture says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Now look at this. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so Paul is not saying, you know, the world's not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So don't get confused about this issue. Only Christians will inherit the kingdom of God. The world won't inherit the kingdom of God. We all understand that concept. Nobody, no Christian gets confused about the issue that they're going to inherit the kingdom of God, but everybody else who denies Christ will not inherit the kingdom of God because they are condemned to hell. That's, that's the, the Bible is very plain on that subject. 
What Paul is teaching us here in this passage of Scripture in the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is that Christians who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God, which is why he says, I've told you this beforehand. I, you know, when I was last there, I told you. And he said, in the, in the past, I've told you about this thing. And he's telling them again. So why tell the, the church time and again and again, guys, those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, if you're talking to Christians, why keep telling them that the world's not going to inherit the kingdom of God? And you warn them again, the world's not going to... I mean, you know, we, Paul, we, we get it, we understand that. You know, we, believers will not inherit the, uh, unbelievers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because he's not doing that at all. He's not speaking about those who are out there in the world. He's talking about Christians who are practicing, because he uses the word practice, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it's not a case of, uh, you know, if a, a, an unbeliever doesn't practice this, they're going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's no, not the Bible at all. They have to be born again. They have to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in order for them to enter the kingdom of God, that they may inherit it. So, you know, you can live the, as good a lifestyle as you possibly can, commit none of these sins, not accept Christ as Lord, and you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's not the qualification. He's talking about believers here in this passage of Scripture. Christians who are practicing any one of these sins. Remember our Lord said, He who breaks the least of these commandments and teaches men so it will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean? We're asking the question, what does it mean to be called least in the kingdom of heaven? And here the Holy Spirit has twice now said to us, there's no inheritance. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you are practicing any of these sins as part of your lifestyle, and we're not to be deceived in this area, Christian, that you know, because you are the righteousness of God, it is excusable in heaven, uh, in God's eyes, that you know, if you, as a, as a believer, are practicing the sin of envy, and you're always envious of other believers, or envious of anyone, and it's just your chosen lifestyle, you're an envious person, or outbursts of wrath. You just never get your temper under control. And you know, at the slightest drop of a hat, you're ready to, you know, to really tear into people. But you're a Christian, and you, you love the Lord, kind of, and, and you, you do. You're born again, and you go to church. But this is one area that you keep practicing sin. He's saying, there is no inheritance for you in the kingdom of God, because you are not, you're practicing unrighteousness. And there's a consequence to be paid for those believers who consistently practice unrighteousness. Let's have a look at the third time that the Holy Spirit warns us on this very issue again. And again, the Holy Spirit is very careful of the terminology that he uses. He mentions nothing about salvation. So he doesn't say that those who practice these things will not be saved, because they will be saved. Remember the guy in... in um, uh, the, the church at Corinth that was living in a lifestyle of adultery. He was uh, living with his father's wife. And uh, he had not repented of that sin. And so Paul said, all right, we're going to have to judge him. And w the way that the judgment was pronounced was that he would then die an early death because they were going to hand him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. And Paul says, this so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So his salvation was going to be assured he wouldn't lose his salvation, 
But nevertheless, he would die in the sin of adultery because it was his practice lifestyle. And Paul and, and the church at Corinth were meant to judge him along that line. Uh, the guy did repent, but we won't get down that road now. But the point remains is that here was a Christian committing adultery, but his salvation was still assured. There was no uh, change to that. He was still the son of God. And so he would uh, be taken to the Lord before his, his, his normal time. Let's have a look at the, the next time that the Holy Spirit warns us on this issue. And again, as I say, he uses the same terminology. He never mentions salvation because it's not the issue. He always talks about it in relation to the inheritance that the believer will have in the kingdom of God. And the next one is the, the letter to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. The scripture says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither what? Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Now look at this, verse 5. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has what? Any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. And so again he's saying to the church. He's saying, church... Don't get deceived in this area. Anyone who practices these things as part of their walk as believers, they will not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. And he says, the wrath of God, unbelievers who commit these sins will incur the wrath of God. The sons of disobedience, they're going to incur God's wrath because of committing these sins. You say, now, just because you're in the body of Christ and you commit these sins, that doesn't excuse you because you're in the, in the body of Christ. So it, God says, okay, well, it's quite all right for my child to, come, uh, to practice uh, fornication, but it's not all right for unbelievers to practice fornication. So I will pour out my wrath on them, but I'll say to my child, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, you, you've been a good boy. Not at all. He's saying, don't get deceived in this area. They're going to incur God's wrath because of those sins. Now, just because you're in the body of Christ and you're committing those sins, and you're, because you're in the body, you're excused. Not at all. He's saying, there's a price to pay. And what's the price to pay? He says, those who practice these things, none of them has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Believers, he's talking about. Christians. Well, those who practice these things as part of their Christian walk, will not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. So again, he's, the Holy Spirit is very careful of the terminology he uses. He doesn't say those who, Christians who practice these things lose their salvation because that's not the truth. The only time we can lose our salvation is if we deny Christ. Christ said, if you deny me, I will deny you. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. That, that's how a Christian loses their salvation. But he's, he's, saying, he's not saying if you a Christian practice fornication, that's it, they've lost their salvation and they will now be condemned to hell. He doesn't say that. He said they will lose their inheritance. They will not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. They will be in the kingdom of God, but there will be no inheritance for them. 
And so that is the consequence that the Holy Spirit is putting across to us. And again, he puts it out. He says, don't be deceived in this area. Because it is, it's an area that Christians do get deceived in. They, it kind of gets taught to them, you're under grace. And, you know, no matter what sin you commit and how often you commit the sin, it doesn't change your salvation. So don't worry about it. Don't get all excited because, you know, don't get con- under condemnation because of sin that you may be practicing. And the Holy Spirit is saying, you know, don't let that, don't get deceived in this area because there is a price to pay. Quite right. Your salvation's intact. You will be uh, saved on the day of Jesus Christ. But if you, this is your lifestyle that you, you've chosen to do. And, it, you know, it's, it's just one area. Remember our Lord said, the least of these commandments you break, uh, you're going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Least in the kingdom of heaven really does mean no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let's look at one more time. Um, we said that there are four uh, passages of Scripture. And again, it, it's almost exactly the same terminology that the Holy Spirit uses. The Scripture says, Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And here are four uh, given to us on the same topic. And the Scripture we'll look at now is in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. Um, scripture says, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Remember, he said that to the church in Ephesus. The the sons of disobedience are going to incur the wrath of God in this because they practice this stuff. Um, Verse 7, in which you yourselves once walked when you were lived in them, but now you, you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Verse 23, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. Verse 25. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality. And so there's the warning that the Holy Spirit puts out there. Because he links it to the inheritance again. He says, but he who does wrong. Now he's talking to Christians. He's not talking about unbelievers. They're going to incur the wrath of God for practicing these sins. For believers who practice these sins. They will be repaid for what they've done. And and he says, and there's no partiality. So God is not going to say, all right, because you're my child, I'll excuse this. I don't excuse the unbelievers from doing that kind of sin, but I excuse you. God is not partial when it comes to righteousness. And so, no, not at all. And again, the other previous scriptures, he says, don't get deceived in this area. You're not to be deceived here. There is an eternal consequence to a, a Christian Practicing a lifestyle of sin in whatever area it might be. Now again, we're dealing with a practiced lifestyle of sin. We're not dealing with Christians who miss it every now and then and repent of their sin and get forgiveness for their sin. We're talking about Christians who are consistently lying in their their walk as believers. We're talking about Christians who are consistently committing adultery in their walk as believers. They're in dangerous ground here because they are in danger 
of losing their eternal inheritance, not their salvation. Still a child of God will stand before the Lord on that day and will have to give an account to him and will be repaid for what they have done, good or bad. Paul writes to us in, in the, the book of uh, um, Corinthians. And so when we stand before the Lord, we will give an account of the good and the bad. And so it is very important for us as believers to make sure we have a short account uh, before the Lord with regards to our lifestyle. So if we've committed sin in any area, get it cleaned up as quickly as possible. Walk in love as, as much as you, you, you can, because you do not want, uh, Peter says, uh, love covers a multitude of sins. And, so, and love does no harm to, uh, to another person. And so, you know, if you're walking in love, you really are not going to be struggling in this area at all. But I'm talking about Christians who are practicing these certain of these sins, whichever one it might be, and are just not getting their act together here. And they've become completely blinded in this area. And they just think, well, I'm saved. And so the Lord understands that, you know, yeah, it's not going to, there's no um, penalty, being, penalty to be incurred. Well, that's deception. Because there is definitely penalty be penalty to be incurred, and the penalty that will be incurred is a loss of the eternal inheritance. And so, you know, it's a very serious subject. It's not a happy subject to talk about eternal judgment on in these issues because there are the good parts. And we dealt with some of the good parts. We will deal some with some of the more good parts. Um, we really want to hear from the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, on that day, we don't want to be ashamed before the Lord because everything gets brought out and so we're dealing with unconfessed sin all unconfessed sin will be judged on that day and uh, Christians who have consistently um, sinned in a particular area and never uh, cleaned their act up before the Lord and go to be with the Lord in that state um, are in danger of losing the, the eternal inheritance they're in the kingdom of God but they have no inheritance given to them because of the fact that this was their chosen lifestyle. And so it's a sobering message. Um, go through those scriptures, read them, meditate upon them, let the Holy Spirit reveal to you. Um, it took me a while to get my mind around this because I've always believed that, you know, that you know, God is just a God of mercy. And, you know, that I've always thought that those scriptures refer to unbelievers. But in fact, they don't. They refer to believers. That's why... Uh, time and again the scripture says don't get deceived in this area um, because those scriptures do refer to believers and we do need to take our day of judgment very very seriously and we're ending the teaching on that particular point today